Sig Sheas, you clockwork gardens. Wipe the sweat from your shins. How are you getting on? What is the crack? Welcome to the Blind Boy Podcast, you gentle bastards. I'm having a good time. Um, <clears throat> Before we get into this week's podcast, I'll just very quickly list out some upcoming live podcasts that I would like you to come to. Right, what have we got? Um, Saturday the 23rd of March, I'm in the Theatre Royal in Waterford. I'm going to be interviewing the people behind Waterford Whispers Nose. That'll be good crack. Not sure if there's tickets left. Uh, Saturday the 30th of March, I am in Castle Blaney in Monaghan. Friday the 5th of April, I'm in Nace in the Mort Theatre, I believe, in Nace. Saturday the 6th and 7th, I'm in Dublin in Vicar Street. That's going to be crack. 12th of April, Whitla Hall, Belfast. Bring it on. And then Saturday the 27th of April, I'm in Cork. Yort. There you go, promoters. Are you listening? That's me advertising my gigs in a professional fashion. Fucking Jerry Ryan. What? I did it. Okay, moving on. So, welcome to the new listeners of the podcast. The podcast is growing... uh, fairly healthily internationally um, I looked at my figures there recently there's like there's a million listeners a month just either under or above it can, it can change around 300,000 people listening in England how are you getting on? Winston Churchill was a bastard um, several thousand in Australia we've got Yanks we've got Canadians thank you very much to all the new international listeners please suggest me to your friends and if you're a new listener, you don't have to, but I, I would recommend going back to the start, or if not the start, just revisiting the, the earlier podcasts, because there's, there's some fun stuff that will that uh, that you'll enjoy. So, last week, last week was a questions podcast, you know. I I hadn't answered your questions in a, in a good while, so last week I took a, a good dose of questions, and... Uh, answered them for you and got some good feedback off you and thank you very much for the feedback and um, there's one question that I have been asked consistently all this week um, I'm talking I had a look now by the way if I don't I get a lot of direct messages on Twitter and Instagram Facebook I try and I try and respond to as many as I can but I get um between 60 and 100 fucking direct messages a day so I only respond to what I can see so if you've ever sent me a message and I haven't seen it or responded to it um, I'm very sorry but it, it would actually be a fucking full time job just to respond to the messages that I get but I appreciate every one of them and thank you for sending me messages but one overwhelmingly ubiquitous question that I'm being asked this week in the wake of the documentary about Michael Jackson um, leaving Neverland and I suppose R. Kelly people coming to me saying blind by I'm a huge Michael Jackson fan I don't know what to do I don't know whether to listen to his music can we separate the art from the artist that is the huge big debate that's happening can we separate the art from the artist because um, now actually before I continue just to be respectful of you know, your emotions and your own boundaries and where you're at. 
I'm going to be talking about Michael Jackson. I'm going to be talking about abuse and the allegations for the next 20 minutes. So you you have a choice to continue listening or not. All right. Just a heads up. Um, this doc, if you haven't seen the documentary Leaving Never- Neverland, it's it's shocking. You know, it's it's shocking. It, it's two uh, grown men going into great detail about the scale of abuse that they suffered at the hands of Michael Jackson and it's a very very difficult and tough thing to watch and it most people when they finish watching the documentary they're very much confronted with a strong feeling towards Michael Jackson which you know and it's strange like because like I've been listening to Michael Jackson a long time and I've known about those allegations. We've all known about those allegations. The first allegations came forward in 1993. So we've all known these things. It's just for some reason. I'm not fully sure why. Like I I didn't really. Just don't want to think about him. Do you know. But this documentary. And not only the documentary but. This documentary coming out in the context of the past, we'll say, two years with the Me Too movement and how there's a strong, you know, push in culture to actually listen to, um, to li- listen to people who are who are victims of abuse and who are making allegations to believe the victim. Um, so it's shocking a lot of people. And the big question is, can you separate the art from the artist? And there's people online fighting like dogs over this particular question. What I would say is... There's there's no one answer. There's the, 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 if, the, if you put a gun to my head and, head and said, give me an answer, what I would say is, can you separate the art from the artist? It depends on the person. And it's as simple as that. It depends on the type of person that you are. Some people can, some people can't. Um, am I going to stop listening to the music of Michael Jackson? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm going to continue listening to Michael Jackson's music. Now, there's two different things around this for me. There's a number of artists that I listen to that have either, uh, you know, have done horrible things. The most important thing that I try and do, let's just say R. Kelly, who's a living artist, right? Now, I'm not a huge R. Kelly fan, but he's quite important to the genre of New Jack Swing, and I'm a producer, so every so often I want to listen to R. Kelly's music. So I just, I, I illegally download it. I make sure that if I am listening to R. Kelly's music, he himself is not financially benefiting from me listening to it so morally then I'm comfortable with it okay so now it's just me listening to music on my own and that's victimless for me if I'm financially supporting him through YouTube plays through Spotify listens different story now I'm financially supporting someone's abuse I'm not okay with that me personally I'm not into that but to engage and listen to his music 
I mean, I'm a producer, so when I listen to R. Kelly and Michael Jackson, like, I, I don't give a fuck about either of their lyrics, to be honest, you know? I don't rate... R. Kelly, R. R. Kelly's lyrics don't have any, any depth to them. They're, they're just pop lyrics. Similarly, I'd say the same for Michael Jackson. When I listen to Michael Jackson's music... As a producer, again, what I'm listening to is it's Quincy Jones's production. Or if I'm listening to the stuff in the early 90s, I'm listening to Teddy Riley's production. I'm listening to the songwriting. I, as a Michael Jackson fan, I'm not really into the cult of Michael Jackson. I never bought into the lyrics. I never bought into the man himself. It's just, here are these songs, which are aspects of his behaviour, which are very good and we need to be adults bad people make good art okay that's that's a fact alright we're going to have to sit with that and view that as, as a simple reality very evil people are capable of making uh, very good art and we see this across history okay um, Caravaggio who I mentioned in an earlier podcast, Caravaggio murdered people like, bad people make good art, and, good people don't necessarily make good art, there's there's no correlation, when someone makes art, like smart people don't even make, you know, I know people who are incredible musicians who, to be honest, aren't too smart, or even interesting to talk to, but when they, pick up a guitar and sing they can transcend into a magical place of song and music is just vib- you know it, music is just symmetrical vibrations of air so for me and Michael Jackson's music I will I will be listening to Michael Jackson in private now we'll say RTE made a decision there that they won't be playing Michael Jackson's songs on the radio I respect that and I tell you why because in the context, especially now with the the Leaving Netherland or Neverland's documentary, Michael Jackson's music now is is now synonymous with child abuse. When we hear it right now this week, you can't think of anything else. So I think it's responsible for RTE to actually go. Do you know what? Um, I don't want to. I don't want to play this music and put it put it into people's households when this music just reminds people of this thing. So separating the art from the artist is it's down to you individually. And I'm ethically okay with privately listening to an artist if I don't think that me listening to them is financially supporting them. What I also won't be doing is, you know, I won't I won't be fucking sharing Michael Jackson's songs on my Twitter. I won't be how I listen to the music that he made now is is now a very private thing, and like the 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 documentary doesn't change how I hear the tunes because, like I said. I listen, I'm listening to it for the drum sounds, for the production, for all these things, a lot of it that isn't even him. So for me personally, it, it, it doesn't make a difference. Now other people, 
if your relationship with Michael Jackson's music or R. Kelly's music was deeper, if you bought into the... If you're a stan, we'll say, if you stan Michael Jackson, if you buy into the king of pop thing, if it's not more than just sounds, if it's... You identify with him, if you're... Like, there's a lot of people simply, like... And I'm talking people I know, like people in Ireland right now, straight up angrily refusing to believe that the allegations might be true. Even though... If you look at that documentary as with empathy, it's like, no, I, I, I believe those lads. I believe them. This is fucking horrendous. But there's some people who elements of their identity or their childhood or growing up th- that they have, they can't extract Jackson from their life or they can't reshape their view of Michael Jackson, who he was and what he represented to take that away represents a deep threat to that person's sense of identity. I'm seeing an awful lot of that. And for those people, um, I, I think those people should sit back and have a real think. Do you know, have a real think about their relationship. I mean, part of this issue too is, I don't know what the fuck it is about our culture, but we need to stop elevating musicians and artists to godlike statuses I don't know why that's a thing like I I view no matter how talented someone is and the talent that Jackson had was you know because I, I I said it three podcasts ago he had the X factor he had an ability to capture when he was exhibiting the behaviour of performing and singing singing that aspect of his behaviour when he was exhibiting that he had a bit an ability to transcend and create really beautiful art and I have to sit with myself and go he did that while also be, being behaving like a fucking monster and what I find useful for, for this thing for, for, with me is I, I replace the word but with and so I don't say to myself Michael Jackson was a child abuser, but his songs were class. I say to myself, Michael Jackson was a child abuser and his songs were class. There are two aspects, two separate aspects of behaviour. But, like I said, I won't be, I won't be sharing his fucking music. I won't be playing it around people. It now just becomes a private thing. Uh, with me on my own if I feel I need to listen to that music um, because I don't think there's any victims in that if it's private there's no harm actually being caused and I'm not financial and he's dead anyway so I don't know who gets the money for living artists who have been accused of abuse or you know really dodgy shit that I, I strongly disagree with I absolutely will not be financially supporting them in any way. And if they've made a few songs that are brilliant, I'm going to go, grand, okay, how can I get that illegally? How, how, can I, how can I still listen to that piece of music which is separate to the person and enjoy it as a, as a producer and as a songwriter but without financially supporting that person or without enabling them? Because what you have to realise as well with Jackson, 
he it was his his riches are what enabled him to abuse the way he did it was his riches that allowed him to and not only his riches but the fact that he'd been elevated to a, a deity like status whereby he couldn't possibly do anything wrong these are the things that enabled him to do what he did so I won't be financially supporting or singing the praises of any artist who's like that at all but if the songs are class I will be listening to them privately and I don't see a problem with that and you know you're free to disagree with that but ultimately you'd be disagreeing with uh, you're just saying here blind by stop listening to dangerous on your own in your room an illegal download stop doing that and I don't see the point in that you know because my relationship with Michael Jackson Michael Jackson's music and why should I deny myself you know the fantastic artistic expression of Quincy Jones or Teddy Riley who gave their heart and souls to produce and create the music of Michael Jackson why should I deny myself their music because of Jackson's actions as such you know and you know it's okay to call out people and go you're financially supporting a person you're enabling what they're doing by your support of their music by buying tickets to their gigs by streaming them that's all fine but when it comes to stop privately listening to this on your own um, and you're not financially supporting them that's just that's not really our business you know it's about songwriting it's about production they're very technical things I never got any deep meaning from the music I never give a fuck about his lyrics for me the lyrics are kind of silly pop and not something I'd really take on board now however if it wa- if it wasn't Michael Jackson it was Bob Dylan we'll say Bob Dylan is somebody now where I extract great meaning from the lyrics and you know Bob Dylan's music would have been emotionally quite important to me that would be a much tougher thing for me to do because now I have to completely reappraise my relationship with the music do you get me so for the people who had an emotional connection with Jackson's music who listened to the lyrics and felt that these these lyrics spoke to them I I can I get the sense of betrayal that those people have and I I, I can understand why those people have to now walk away from those tunes but for me I just don't same with R. Kelly and we have to be adults and just go bad people make good art but that still doesn't mean that we have to support it financially that we have to continue to enable them do you know the ability to have multiple viewpoints at the same time that actually contradict that's life I mean, I know on on the internet, things are very black and white and very binary, but that's not the case. I mean, another thing I see too, which which I feel is kind of quite harmful. I see a lot, I see R. Kelly and Michael Jackson being described as monsters. And I I think that's, that's harmful. When I look at anything around abuse, okay, because I come from a background of 
like I, I was training to be a psychotherapist for a while for a couple of years so I approach things from a victim point of view so when it comes to anything to do with abuse I always go what is the approach that minimizes future victims right that stops any abuse that's happening now and most importantly minimizes future victims and it's it's a tough one because it can make you so fucking angry that you want to say R. Kelly is a monster Michael Jackson is a monster and I also see people on, on Twitter calling for saying we need to stop humanising abusers they are monsters that's not realistic and it's important that we don't label abusers as monsters and here's why yes they've behaved in a monstrous fashion they have behaved like monsters right but when you turn R. Kelly or Michael Jackson into a monster you strip their humanity and what this does like they used their humanity as a way to exploit and abuse people so it's Michael Jackson wasn't a monster that's the point Michael Jackson presented himself as an incredibly nice friendly harmless wouldn't hurt a fly type of person so that's not a monster that's someone who is actually using their humanity and tricking people and not only grooming his victims but actually grooming us as a culture we were we were all lied to by how he behaved by presenting this really childlike harmless uh, I'm here to help the children I love all the children those are very human things so when you get it into your head that people who people who behave in monstrous fashions must be monsters then that doesn't help future victims because future victims need to be able to say hold on a second no people who abuse come in all shapes and sizes and they don't have to be these horrible cartoonish monsters they can be the person at the end of the road they can be that nice person that I know who's absolutely very nice to me all the time and it's important for us as a culture to recognise that to recognise that monsters don't exist everyone is a human and humans can behave in a monstrous fashion but monsters aren't real so please don't like interpret that as some type of defence of abusers it's not it's the rational facts are that people who abuse are they use humanity and trust as a way to groom so those things need to be spoken about candidly so that to prevent future victims so that future victims don't say to themselves oh but they're so nice they're so sound it's like no his, his victims are straight up saying that it was the exact opposite of monstrosity that was used as a grooming technique so we all as a as a cautious and, and caring society who's interested in safety need to have a, a realistic discourse around it you know we see it over and over again in America when there's a school shooting, you know, or any type of mass shooting. Someone, a person goes on a shooting spree, you know, behaves in a monstrous fashion, and the discourse around it is, oh, he was so normal, I was only talking to him last week. 
he was a shy person. This is so shocking. This is unlike them. Uh, I can't understand why this happened. And it's like, yeah, because the school shooter has been dehumanized. It's a monster. So when monsters don't exist. So the school shooter is a fucking human, a human being who has a normal life. And then one day they behave like a monster. Um, to kind of illustrate that with another example, it harks back to a theme that I had in a, in a podcast about 15 podcasts ago where I was speaking about the the Ulster Rugby rape trial that happened in Ireland over the summer. And one thing that I noticed, okay, just w- one facet, I'm not making, I don't want to make any fucking hot takes around something as important as this, and I wouldn't, but one facet that I noticed is there was a large uh, segment of mostly lads who straight up do not believe uh, victims who come forward with allegations. You know, this is why the hashtag I believe her needed to be made because there was, like I said, mostly lads going, I don't believe her. No, it's bullshit. One thing I've noticed, right? One facet, not not the whole picture, but one little thing I've noticed amongst lads who don't believe women in particular who come forward it's because we're, us as lads, we're, we're raised from kids to believe that people who rape or sexually assault, right? That the people who do this are dirty old men in trench coats who hide down alleyways and they jump out from the darkness. That's how we're conditioned as young men to believe. When that happens then young men are able to go, ah, yeah, that's what sexual assault looks like. So we're conditioned to believe that a rapist or an abuser is this boogeyman, a monster, a dirty old man, greasy, dirty, smelly, long coat, all these cliches. And that's what that's what we're raised with, this very narrow definition that's unrealistic and no mention of, of consent culture has told us to hold in our heads okay then when we're presented with an allegation around something that happens in a hotel room an allegation that is whereby the woman making the allegation might be in a relationship with the abuser or the rapist or might even be married and then not all but certain lads then don't believe the allegations because it doesn't fit the narrow definition and one facet not the whole picture but one reason I think that is is because we are told that no 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 uh, abusers are these boogeymen monsters so it must only fit that definition and if it doesn't fit that definition then she's probably a liar so that's one reason why I think it's important for us to absolutely humanise these people and when I say humanize it doesn't mean like compassion forgiveness understanding it's not that it's like no 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 they need fucking justice and most importantly they need to be removed from society so that they can't harm but calling them monsters I can understand the anger that would cause us to feel that way but it's not helpful from a victim point of view I don't think and the utter deification of celebrities needs to fucking stop 
Do you know, that's the that's the other end of dehumanization. You can call someone a monster. You can also call someone a god. And Michael Jackson was viewed as some type of fucking god. And all our rock stars and celebrities are viewed in the same way. And it's like they're not. They're fucking fallible human beings who will, on the far end of the scale, disappoint us massively through criminal actions like abuse and then on the lesser end of the scale will hold very problematic beliefs or say uh, say bad things and we need to really stop we need to actually just go hold on a second What? why Why are we pedestaling this human being so far above us into godhood it's just you know it's the spectacle of celebrity it's fucking bullshit and, and when we do it it enables the person to start enjoying the smell of their own farts. It enables the celebrity to believe that, oh, I fucking am a god, therefore I am not accountable to the basic rules of compassion, respect that you and I are. Do you know? Put someone on a fucking pedestal and they start acting like a cunt. Do you know? Um, that needs to fucking stop. Celebrities from the start, from the beginning, need to be fully accountable for their words and their actions and not treated like gods. T- talent, like just because someone is a, an amazing singer or actor or writer, talent is just one aspect of personality, you know? Can that person fry an egg? What if they're shit at cooking? You know, we need to humanise these people. It's just one aspect of behaviour and it doesn't... No matter how talented someone is, it does not place their value above you or I or anyone. And all the mails and messages I get of people going, you know, should I listen to Michael Jackson anymore? Um, should I like Liam Neeson anymore? The only thing I can say is that it's, it has to be an individual choice. Because cancel culture... Is hugely irrational. There's no rules. It it doesn't make any sense. I'm not trying to... What I'm trying to do is ask questions around it rather than make statements about it because I don't understand. All I can do is I, I'm going to make my own individual decisions. But th- this is how we know that the system around this is, is flawed and broken, right? So, can anybody tell me, right? And I don't know the answer to this. So Liam Neeson, uh, about a month ago, said some deeply fucking problematic things around racial violence, right? I don't agree with him. He shouldn't have said him. Very wrong of him. So Liam Neeson said that. The entire internet exploded, uh, wanting Liam Neeson to be deplatformed. You know, I don't think he turned up to... He didn't turn up to the premiere of his film, all this stuff. The internet was going apeshit. So why... Did the internet go apeshit for Liam Neeson over that? But Mark Wahlberg has two actual convictions for, like, racial violence. Twice. Now, he he was a teenager, but still, Mark Wahlberg has two convictions separately of violently kicking the shit out of someone for, with racial motivations behind it. So, why is Liam Neeson being cancelled 
but Mark Wahlberg isn't even spoken about. And we can't answer the question. There's, there, we can't answer it because it's because the system of it is so insane. The reason this problem exists is very serious things, very serious issues are being spoken about through the highly irrational lens and spectacle of celebrity. And <clears throat> unfortunately, it's quite, it's quite, the reality is quite cynical. It, it appears to be not so much, it doesn't appear to be operating on pure social justice. It, it appears to be operating on which deeply problematic behavior, words or action is hot or not. Which is which is the hottest racist thing that someone's done, and this is hot and this is not. So these really really important things are now operating on like a popularity contest. That's the only explanation I can think of. Do you know? And that's fucked up. That's really fucked up. And now we're left with an utterly batshit system where you you can't you can't answer it you, you, I can't understand it Dr. Dre in 1993 uh, publicly in front of a lot of people threw a woman off a wall it isn't spoken about there's no one really there, you'll find a few people but the internet at, at large is not calling for the cancellation of Dr. Dre and I can't understand it. I, I, I don't know the rules to it. It's utterly irrational. Michael Jackson, we've known these things about Michael Jackson since 1993. It's only now. R. Kelly, the, the allegations against R. Kelly first came out in 2003. He went to court over it. There's no rules. It doesn't make sense. So I can't process it. I can't understand it. But the one thing that I can take from it is that I think it has to be on an individual basis I think we all have to make individual choices my individual choice is I'm I absolutely I, I, I won't fucking financially support so if someone does something that I, I strongly strongly disagree with I'm not going to financially support that person whether I don't engage with their art or not it depends on the art it depends on the art. I'm I'm not gonna If I was to say to you now I'm not gonna listen to Michael Jackson's music, I'd be lying to you. I'd actually be talking out of my fucking arse. And I think too a lot of the people who are saying that they're gonna stop with any artist, I think they're also talking out of their fucking arse. I think it's a very performative thing. One of the most controversial figures last year was an artist called XXX Tentacion. And he, uh, you know, he abused abused his girlfriend. He's now dead. He was shot. And there was massive calls for XXX Tentacion to be deplatformed and all of this. And, like, he had a song called Sad, which I fucking loved. It was, I fucking loved it when it came out. And then I found out about what he actually did. That then completely changed the meaning of the song for me and I didn't really enjoy it as much anymore and I made a decision that right the song is still fucking catchy how do I illegally download it so when I listen to it I'm not financially supporting him so now I'm morally comfortable with it but 
if the song's in my fucking head and it's really catchy and I love music the way I do, I'm going to listen to it in fucking private. I'm not going to suggest it to anyone. I'm not going to financially support the person. So I'm cool with that. But there were so many people saying, loads and loads and loads, fuck him, I'm not listening to his music, I'm not doing this. And his song was the most played song in Spotify in the world for 2018. So I think a lot of people are talking out of their arses. They're performatively on social media going, fuck him, I'm not going to listen to his stuff, but then secretly going going away and listen to, listening to it anyway. It's it's disingenuous, so I'm just trying to be genuine about it. I won't financially support an artist who does something I gravely disagree with. But if the art is good enough, that's an expression of the behaviour. I'll do it privately. In a way that doesn't fucking financially support them. And I'm not going to be platforming them to a wider audience. And I think that's okay. That's my choice. But if you want to go fuck them, I don't want nothing to do with them, even in private. That's your choice. And I think that's the only way we can deal with it. Um, or else you just completely strip apart and restructure the entirety of fucking art throughout history. Because a lot of ba- a lot of people who've done very, very bad things have made very important and good pieces of work. And we all have to sit with that anxiety of those things. That's the reality. There, there's no binary or black or white in this. So, like, yeah, that's an awful lot for me to to take in. Hold on, is my mic being a prick? It's a it's a tough conversation to have. It's a tough conversation to have because it's there's so many what abouts about it. You know, it's why do you take this stance with one artist and then you go, well, here's a list of another ten people. Why aren't you taking a stance with that artist? It's so fucking tough. But a good start from here on in is stop pedestaling celebrities. Just like, fuck it. Like, it doesn't make them better than us. It just doesn't. So this week, we're going to have the banjo pause. All right. The I had the ocarina last week. A very deep ocarina that, um, to be honest presented me with a slight bit of anxiety. It was too deep in Ocarina. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So I'm, I'm happy to be back playing the banjo this week. So let's do the, the banjo pause. Maybe I won't fuck up any notes this week. Let's see.
Not one note gone wrong. A few little, a few little dodgy, dodgy plucks, but all the notes were on point there. It only took me three fucking weeks of it. Fuck's sake! Hold on, I put the banjo over yonder. The banjo pause, by the way, was uh, in case you heard an advert from Acast. Um, this podcast is supported by you, the listener, via the Patreon page. Patreon.com forward slash the blind by boat. The blind... Oh, come on. Am I getting it wrong? Am I getting it wrong after this many podcasts? Patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast. You can be a patron of this podcast. What that means is... You know, you can buy me the equivalent of a cup of coffee or a pint once a month by becoming a patron, going to the Patreon. Um, please do, if it's something you've been thinking about, please do, if you can afford it. If you can't afford it, you don't have to. Um, a huge thing for me with the Patreon, yeah, I just want to make sure, because I've had a lot of people suggesting to me as well, it's like, why don't you do exclusive con- content just for Patreon people and I don't really I don't really want it to be honest I'd like everyone to get the exact same podcast and for the patrons for just to be a donation model based upon soundness really um, rather than kind of charging people for exclusive content content on the Patreon even though that's what most people on Patreon do I just want to go with the experimental model of soundness which has been working great so far so patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast you can become a patron or you can't become a patron you still get the same podcast um what i wanted to speak about a small bit this week um is anxiety right i don't want to go into it in in massive depth i could do that in a separate podcast but i want to touch on uh anxiety anxiety attacks the reason i'm just conscious that it's 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 march right and i've so many of ye listening i just know from looking at the metrics and from messages that i get there's a lot of ye in college and there's a lot of ye doing your leaving certs you know 16 17 year olds who are in school and it's one thing that can be very kind of triggering for anxiety is exams and study and stuff like that and not only exams and study but the thing as well with college and school it brings with it the massive fear of change and uncertainty so it's it's not just you know if like if you're in sixth year or if you're in third or fourth year of college and you're experiencing anxiety, it's 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 not as it sometimes it can be alright, the exams are around the corner, um, you know, if you're procrastinating a bit or if your feet are not, you know, working as hard as you should be, of course that can bring on anxiety. But there's also existential anxiety that can go with it because change, massive change when you're in 60 or doing your leaving cert like the level of change that is going to be confronting you is massive it's you're effectively leaving childhood leaving 
the system of, of school, which is school is just like a, a it's 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 like um a cultural nappy, do you know? You go start going to school when you're three or four years of age, and you get up every day and you go to this place, and everything is perfectly routine, and you do this the whole time until you're fucking seventeen, eighteen. And then you're now suddenly faced with the freedom. And that's what it is. It's the anxiety. The freedom. The freedom of, oh fuck, next year when I'm finished the leave insert, or next year when I'm finished fourth year of college, I am now in the wild. I am, and these are unconscious processes, but freedom can present us it can really trigger fucking anxiety. The freedom of infinite choice. The freedom of of not knowing where your life is going to be next year. And all these things bubble under the surface as a hum of stress, which can be kind of an underlying trigger for anxiety. And panic attacks and anxiety attacks. So I'm going to speak very briefly about what an anxiety attack is and what it feels like. And the reason I'm going to do it is because when I was, I first started getting panic attacks and anxiety attacks when I was 17, 18. And for about a year, I didn't know what the fuck they were. And that's the, that can be the worst part. And I was just getting these things. And when you don't have language for it, you know, and you just get this wave of sudden fucking fear, the first few times it happens, you you nearly deny that it's just happened. It's so strange and new and terrifying that you just move on with your day. And then it happens more and more. And for me, I didn't know what they were. I didn't know what they were and it, it, it was so fucking scary and terrifying and I'd never experienced it and it would cause me periods of depression and low self-esteem afterwards. They were so scary I'd, I wouldn't speak to anyone because the other thing too is I didn't know I didn't know what to say to anyone. I couldn't I couldn't describe it. I couldn't say to someone this thing happened yesterday where I just felt really scared. I, I don't think I even had that language at the time. It's, it's hard for me to kind of travel back to a time before I had an understanding of my own mental health and to try and uh, kind of empathise with what an anxiety attack was like before I knew what it was. I can tell you one thing. 50% of how bad not bad, 50% of how shit they made my life was the fact that I didn't know what they were and I didn't know that they were okay or normal. Do you know what I mean? So, briefly, like, what what is a fucking, what is an anxiety attack? An anxiety attack is, is the simplest way of putting it is it's a fire alarm going off in your body and there's no fire. That's it. You know, if you're in a building and the fire alarm goes off. Im- imagine everyone in the building didn't know 
that it was an alarm or didn't know that it was maybe a, just a drill and thought it was a real fire, sure everyone would be going nuts. They'd be running out the building. There'd be no, you know, if there was no plan in place, if there was no fire exits, you could have real chaos, real harm could be caused. That's what happens when you get a panic attack. The fire alarm goes off, but our brains don't really, the brain doesn't go, ah, it's just a panic attack. You'll be grand. No, we accept it as, as utter truth. And some of the anxiety attacks that I used to get, I genuinely 100% believe that I was dying. And that's a common theme with, with anxiety attacks, is it hits you and you truly believe that I am dying. What's happening right now is this is what the body experiences when you suddenly die for no reason. That's what I thought it was, because it was that fucking terrifying. And the problem that can arise around that and something that happened to me is... You know, if it's a fucking Tuesday afternoon and all of a sudden you find yourself in, in a toilet cubicle believing yourself to be dying and then you come out of it and you snap back into kind of reality and feeling okay again, you're left shook. You're left with a mild trauma because even though like you're physically safe, your mind and body feels like you just got narrowly missed getting hit by a truck. Y your mind doesn't rationally say to yourself, ah, oh, that was just a panic attack. It's like, no, your mind remembers the sensation of feeling like you're going to die and that stays as, as a residual discomfort that can last. Do you know? So if you're a long-time listener of this podcast, uh, I've spoken about anxiety before, so some some of the stuff I'm about to say I might be I might be repeating things I said a year ago or whatever, but I'm saying this one for new listeners and specifically with uh, young people in mind. Just my approach with mental health in this podcast is to try and speak as candidly as possible from my own personal experience in what what my mental health issues were and how I overcame them. And to speak about it from my point of view only. And if you can listen to my experience and take something from it, then brilliant. But I'm not here kind of telling people what to do because all I can really speak about is my experience, to be honest. So, you know, why do we get anxiety attacks? What What's the point? You know, what what is the fucking point of, you know, sitting down in class or on a bus and all of a sudden you, you have a uninvited wave of terror. What, what's the point in that? Do you know? Well, it does have... It exists for a reason. An, an evolutionary reason. It's, it's called the fight or flight response of the body. Okay? So, our bodies are... Like, we're homo sapiens. We've, we've been around for... I, I, what's the fucking it's about 50,000 years or more I'm not sure probably way longer but anyway our bodies still think that we live in prehistoric times our bodies still think and our brains still think that you know early humans were genuinely under serious threat all the time of actually dying do you know early humans Bears wanted to eat. You, you, you were someone's prey. Okay? An early human 
who doesn't live in civilization, a hunter-gatherer, would have to venture out to feed themselves and might end up being killed by a large animal. So this response exists in our body as a reaction to genuine... Um, if something was to genuinely threaten your fucking life, okay? So... If it's 30,000 years ago and a, and, and a giant bear comes up and wants to actually eat you, then your adrenal gland, no, your amygdala in your brain will tell your adrenal gland to release fuckloads of adrenaline all over your body, okay? And this triggers what is known as the fight or flight response. So what it does is it gives your entire body, your lungs, your heart, your muscles, an injection of intense adrenaline which prepares you to either fight for your life or to run for your life. Two very extreme things that you need to do in a life-threatening situation, okay? So, in the unlikely event of you being in a life-threatening situation, you will experience in that moment the feeling of a panic attack and you can use all that adrenaline that's been pumped around your body to kick the, the, the animal's head in or run away as fast as you've ever ran. So that's why it exists. It has a useful purpose. But we now exist in the 21st century and there aren't any bears anymore and it's unlikely, you know, it does happen, but it's unlikely in your day-to-day -day that you're going to find yourself in a life-threatening situation. So what happens now, our brains, what now threatens us are its, its existential threat. The unconscious fear of change, the fear of uncertainty, the, when something threatens our identity or our sense of self, how we feel about ourselves, if, if our self-esteem is somehow sharply threatened by from existential reasons, if you feel that you're underperforming, if you feel you could be doing better, if you have issues around your appearance, your body, all these things that exist now in our society, when one of these things becomes threatened silently, unconsciously, by existential anxiety, these things can trigger the flight or, uh, fight or flight response. It's now uh, what you'd call a vestigial response. We still have appendixes, you know. An appendix is a fucking useless organ in our body that existed, you know, it was it was useful fucking, I think it was about a million years ago. It was so we could digest, like, grass and shit. Now we don't need it anymore, but it still exists in our body and flares up and people need to get their appendixes removed. Anxiety attacks, they're not too far off it. They're vestigial. They're parts of our anatomy or our physiology that still exist, but they're not really relevant to where humans are at right now. So we now end up getting anxiety attacks in libraries and in toilets and on buses or sitting at home in your room in, in spaces that you think are actually safe and now you're overcome with a, with a, a wave of intense dread. So just to go through some of the what a panic attack kind of feels like. For me, 
I'd noticed first like a, a, a kind of an intense wave of heat coming over my my face you know a, a, a kind of a, a just a strange feeling then when I'd kind of acknowledged that feeling my heart would start pounding really hard and I'd have this inability to stay still I, I'd need to get up off my seat I'd need to walk around or pace or for me I used to rub my hands together um, to the point that I, I still have on my hand I have calluses hard skin on the side of my hands from being so anxious that I had developed this kind of way to rub my hands together when I was anxious and it left permanent uh, like hard skin calluses on my hand because I was getting so much anxiety so I would start to rub my hands together that that what that is is basically the adrenaline is is your adrenal gland has released all this adrenaline around your body and now I who I'm sitting down and my muscles need to move they need to fight or they need to flee so for me this nervous energy expressed itself as hand rubbing and pacing so I'd start pacing and rubbing my hands and then I that's when the the wave of intense deep fear would come over my body these waves of really really fucking unpleasant dread and the feeling of dying and the terror of feeling so fucking anxious and so scared and so afraid but not having one object of fear and not having a reason and the irrationality of that I'd get butterflies in my stomach I'd get tingles and then what would what would happen after successive panic attacks and this is the shit I hated the most my surroundings would no longer feel real the the sense of being present in reality and having consciousness and being alive those things would leave me in a sense and I would I wouldn't feel it didn't feel normal anymore. I didn't feel like uh, I'm present in this room, or I, I would. My thoughts would be racing all over the gaff, and I wouldn't feel alive or something. I wouldn't feel present. I'd depersonalize. That was particularly distressing for me. Now the reason I'm reading that shit out and telling it to you is. What I would have loved for someone to be able to say to me for the first year of me going through that was, this is fucking normal. When I first, like, I think I read it, I think I read it in a book about anxiety. But I'd had a year of these fucking things. And when I actually read, you know, what I just described to you there, those terrifying symptoms, when I was able to read them in a book, that took 50% of it away. It made me go, holy fuck, I'm not going mad. This terror is not completely unique to me. Everything I'm reading here is exactly what I'm experiencing. This must be normal. And it is fucking normal. There's a million people listening to this podcast and I guarantee you every single person who's listening to this can relate exactly to what I just described there. Because that experience of an anxiety attack everyone's going to get one of them in their life now some people are going to get a lot of them other people might get it once or twice I was someone who used to get a lot of them but hearing 
just hearing what they were and what the symptoms were it removed the hell a, a huge amount of the shame because I used to experience shame around the anxiety I used to feel like a freak because this was happening and when I was able to hear oh shit other people are getting that too it, it for me it made it more like um, like if you get a sore throat or a cold and you read the symptoms in a book or online and it's like runny nose yeah sore throat yeah fevers and chills yeah and then you go okay this is normal so it's important for I think as part of just discourse and discussion for people to actually know what a panic attack is know what, the, what an anxiety attack is know what the the symptoms are when it's happening and go this is fucking normal this is an anxiety attack this is what this is everyone gets this doesn't make it any less pleasant but you can put a name on it now you can visualise it and the best kind of like how I would deal with them when they were happening like once it kicks off I mean you are talking about like your body's chemicals flowing through your body so the best thing to do when it happens is to kind of sit with it to let it pass don't kind of maybe don't fight it as such like if if you think of it as um if you cut your finger or if you you know if you, you know if you stub your fucking toe on the side of the bed and it's agonizing for about 2 minutes or if you burn your hand on the stove when we do that like it's awful and it's very unpleasant but when it's a physical injury we tend to have an ability to go this is awful it feels like shit but i know it's gonna it's gonna pass you know that rotten feeling of stubbing your toe or stepping on a plug you know it's gonna pass and you kind of just wait and you go oh for fuck's sake and you wait you know with a burn you might rub it under the tap a little bit but essentially you just go ah oh, for fuck's sake I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a sore hand now for about an hour and you cope with it and you deal with it and you accept it when the panic attack hits try and accept it just go okay it's an anxiety attack it's happening I'm 100% safe most importantly no matter how your brain will act like a real bully in that moment not only a bully but a bully who has your deepest secrets and your brain will really try and beat you down and what you have to be able to say to yourself is my body's fire alarm is now is now going off you know another example you know you're sitting at home and one of the neighbors fucking house alarms goes off and it's really annoying and it's unpleasant and it's fucking with your day a little bit but what do we do like you rarely kind of call out to the neighbor's house you might stick the head out just stick your head out the window to make sure there's no robber there but most of the time in the middle of the day when the neighbor's house alarm goes off you just go there's the neighbor's house alarm again I'm going to let that pass and we very calmly kind of go that's an unpleasant noise it's really annoying but I am I, I have confident faith in the fact that it, it's going to pass and that's what you say to yourself with an anxiety attack my house alarm is going off there's no one trying to rob me uh, I'm not on fire 
I'm totally safe, even though I don't feel that way. And I'm going to let this pass. And I'm going to sit. I'm going to sit and experience how unpleasant this is. And kind of mindfully notice your, your breathing. Notice your heart pumping. Notice these things. What you want to try and avoid is when your mind is fucking racing and when your thoughts can turn into a very a very panicked type of self-talk whereby you're saying to yourself this is unbearable this is unbearable this is awful this is terrible i can't deal with this i can't deal with this this is awful this is terrible that's how your mind will go you have to fight that it's not unbearable you can bear it and you will bear it it's completely bearable it's deeply unpleasant it's it's not at all nice but you can cope in the way that you will cope if you burn your hand on the stove or if you cut your hand with a knife you don't need to call the fucking ambulance because you're looking at it going I don't need any stitches so I'm just going to sit with this unpleasantness in the confidence that it's going to pass and when you take that attitude with an anxiety attack it lessens the trauma of it um, and by by the trauma of it what I mean is like I spoke about earlier there it's like you don't want to be shook for the rest of the day a panic attack sometimes while the panic attack itself is, is, is awful what can be worse and, and more harmful is the feeling of being shook for the rest of the day and it can be very fucking draining as well like man I, I used to get fucking panic attacks that would leave me feeling really really tired for the rest of the day really drained because my body has given so much energy into this intense expression of irrational fear but also it would leave me with a sense of shame and a sense of weakness and a sense of fear of it happening again and that fear of it happening again that's the trauma that's your that's your mind remembering how unpleasant it was and naturally going well how do we not have another one of them for me I developed unhealthy coping mechanisms my unhealthy coping mechanism was well, it happened when I was... It happened when I was in Duns buying a tin of beans. So I can't go to Duns anymore. And if I don't go to Duns, then I won't get anxiety attacks. And that developed slowly for me into an agoraphobia. I was, I was staying away from the areas where the panic attacks happened because I didn't understand them. The area has nothing to do with it. External factors. That's what's known as a safety behaviour. And when we experience anxiety, we can develop these safety behaviours they're irrational ways of coping with the anxiety so for me it was avoiding places where they happened and all it really does is it enforces the anxiety it actually makes it worse some people will start to carry like water bottles around with them and they think if they have a water bottle with them they won't get anxiety or for me I started to carry my asthma inhaler, inhaler around with me a lot, even though, to be honest, I didn't really need it. But I felt that if I had this asthma inhaler, that it would make me better because 
also when you get an anxiety attack your breathing becomes mad shallow which is again I think that has something to do with running or panting or you can run faster and your breath becomes shallow um, another thing you can do when the anxiety attack hits to cope with it and minimise how how intense it can be there's a visualisation exercise try and imagine a white sheet of paper slowly filling with black paint from the centre the complexity of that image is enough to occupy your brain and let the anxiety pass through as opposed to really frantic fucking anxious thoughts about how you can't cope with it and about how it's unbearable and about how you're, how you're going to die they don't help at all that's in your control if anxiety is manifesting itself in specific circumstances right so it's not just general anxiety that can come upon you at any point if we'll say you can experience anxiety if you get into a lift or if you're going to a crowded place like for me I started to become very very scared of crowds okay my anxiety started off as coming out of fucking nowhere with no explanation until it eventually became avoiding places avoiding crowds there's an acronym for coping called fear and it's face everything and recover and it operates on the it's it comes from cognitive behavioral therapy but it operates on the principle of if getting into a lift can trigger anxiety attacks in you or going to a bar can trigger anxiety attacks in you it's you must not avoid them when you start to avoid them that's a safety behavior and that safety behavior can make the situation worse right the lift isn't the cause of the anxiety it's your attitude it's your beliefs about the lift crowds as well it's your belief about crowds for me my irrational when i would go to a, a bar when i was 19 or whatever 18 what would bring on the anxiety it manifested as a fear of crowds but deeply underneath what it was was a fear of of being an adult and being normal it was like go, going to a bar and being an autonomous person who isn't tied down by the you know the routine of school it's like now you're a fucking adult you're on your own and what what's more adult than being allowed into the bar now you're now you're 18 you're allowed into the bar that was very triggering for me because what it meant was I didn't feel normal I didn't feel like a proper adult I didn't feel mature I didn't feel capable my self-esteem was very low so being in a bar with my peers was actually quite threatening to my self-esteem because I would look at them and judge how adult they are and that and and compare myself to it all kind of unconscious processes but I was unaware of how how low my self-esteem was so that would then manifest itself as extreme anxiety in crowds so fear face everything and recover if you're noticing that a crowded bar or a lift 
or a shopping centre or whatever the fuck is or, or a lecture theatre is a trigger for your anxiety you have to actually go in there you have to face it and recover so you have to go to the bar and maybe give yourself 10 minutes and even if it triggers anxiety in you even if it's deeply unpleasant you face it and then you recover from it and it's a gradual exposure thing you gradually expose yourself to this thing that's actually this area that's quite triggering and as you gradually do it it minimizes the anxiety around it and that's the exact opposite of a safety behavior a safety behavior is saying to yourself i must not go to bars because bars cause anxiety bullshit bars don't cause anxiety your belief about the bar causes anxiety and by facing it and recovering you challenge your faulty beliefs about the bar and all this type of stuff and this is a this is a, a core tenet within cbt which is used to treat anxiety and, and a healthy way to recover so you know face everything and recover fear if you face the bar or the lift and you do it for your 10 minutes a good way to process recovery is when you're at home later that evening take out a sheet of paper and write down honestly exactly how you felt and you can throw that piece of paper into the bin you can flush it down the toilet you can set it on fire you don't have to keep it but the process of because it can be quite intense um I spoke about this before, but at the at the utter, utter height of my fucking anxiety, the absolute height of it, I went to a Bob Dylan concert because I had to, because I was staying in my room all the time, not leaving really, to be honest. And what, what I was doing, that's when I was learning about music. That's when I was, you know, playing guitar, learning how to produce. But I was living and breathing the music of Bob Dylan all day long. And his lyrics and music would help me through what I was going through. So he played in Galway and I had to go. I just fucking had to do it. I was just like, Bob, I have to be in the same, I have to breathe the same air as Bob Dylan. His music meant so much to me that it actually trumped my anxiety. So I went to a giant fucking Bob Dylan concert. Thousands of people. And it was awful. It was fucking terrible. It was an hour-long panic attack. I didn't enjoy it one bit. It was really deeply fucking terrifying and it took a lot of energy out of me. But I did it. I faced it and I recovered from it. And it was one of the most important things I could do. Because not only did it minimise my fear of public spaces, it massively built my self-esteem. It made me, it, the shame that I would feel, because that's the thing with anxiety too, is, is you can feel shame around it because it can stop you doing normal things. If, if you're the person who can't go into a bar or can't go into a lift, you start to feel, start to label yourself things like a freak. You start to notice that other people have no problem going into lifts or have no problem going into bars. And then we judge ourselves against these other people and naturally start to beat ourselves up and that lowers our self-esteem so when you face one of these situations your self-esteem grows with it so write down and record exactly what you felt and what it was like 
and it's up to you what you do, do with that piece of paper. You can throw that away if you want. It's just for you and be as honest as possible. Know that nobody else has to read it so you'll be as honest as, as, as possible with yourself. And eventually what will hopefully happen is, you know, with the confidence and self-esteem that, you know, gradually comes from facing, we'll say, a triggering situation, you then, you, that's when you really start to view your anxiety as, as a bully, as a bully that exists inside of you. And the little bit of confidence comes up and you kind of go, you look at your anxiety and you're going, you're fucking my life up, who the fuck are you? I don't, I don't want this life anymore. I don't want this life where I feel controlled and abused by a part of myself. So you start to get the confidence to stand up to your anxiety. So the second time that you, you know, go into a triggering situation, you go into it with a little bit more confidence. And for me, I used to make it a game. After the first and second time of going into public spaces, I'd start to get kind of slightly cheeky and bold about it and I know it sounds mad but there was a kind of a, a like a daredevil part of me came in like how how most people would try and I don't know go on a roller coaster to freak themselves out I got a, a kind of a similar enough buzz by deliberately walking into crowded spaces and feeling the fear and feeling the anxiety but this time with a little bit more confidence with the knowledge of the fears that I had the things that I was afraid I was afraid that I'd, I'd faint I was afraid that I'd get sick I was afraid that I'd do something that would cause me to be um, an object of everyone's attention you know like if I puked all over the ground or fainted or something that, that was a big fear that all the attention would come upon me and I'd be a spectacle of like public disgust or embarrassment or something. So I gradually walk into these spaces and feel the kind of the good adrenaline of standing up to the anxiety. And then and then it just stops. Then it stops and I became a, a functioning normal person. So it's 80 minutes now. So I'm going to fuck off. Um I hope that last bit was helpful to anyone who is experiencing anxiety at the moment. And I hope you enjoyed my thoughts on Michael Jackson. Uh, please don't direct message me and say, I know you saw the Michael Jackson documentary, but I, I don't believe it. And, and here's a link to some facts. I've had a lot of people in my DMs going, Here, here's a link to some facts about why Michael Jackson is innocent and this is all a big load of bullshit. I don't, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it and if you are that person you just you need to face up to the fact that the fucking your childhood hero behaved like a prick behaved like an abuser and that's life that's uh, that's the nuance that you're now going to have to deal with alright God bless uh, have a lovely week I'm going to be back to you next week I'm busy as fuck for the rest of this week I'm off to London tomorrow so I don't even know what the podcast is going to be about next week. But I'll be back. Yort.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 